Hey everyone, it's Vanessa here from Working It, a careers podcast. Today I will be joined by Kate Conway, who is well known as being the co-host of the Q Radio Breakfast Show and also for her voiceovers and TV ads. After graduating from Queen's with a degree in information management, Kate went on a marketing route and she worked for the Belfast Met with a student finance team. During her career with the Belfast Met, Kate had to go around a lot of schools and talk to school leavers about the courses that were available in the Belfast Met. This helped Kate to overcome her fear of public speaking and also helped to lead her down the career route of voiceovers and radio presenting. In this episode, I will be discussing with Kate what a career looks like in radio and TV presenting and also voiceovers and tips that will help you to overcome public speaking. I learned a lot from Kate in this episode and I got some great tips that I will definitely be taking forward the next time I have to speak in public and I hope that you guys can take these tips forward too. Hi Kate, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. How have you been keeping? Yeah, really good, really good. It's been a, it's been an odd year to say the least, but I'm doing okay. Have you been working much from home or are you back in the office now that lockdown is easing up? At the minute, I do holiday cover at U105. I am what is known in the industry as a swing jock, which sounds like a really, a really weird expression. But it's um sort of a, a presenter, if you like, who is at the station, doesn't have a regular slot, but covers for everybody else. So I've been doing that since last November. However, at the minute, nobody's really going on holidays for obvious reasons. So I've only really worked a week since lockdown. But to be honest, it's been okay. I haven't really... Uh, I haven't really minded too much but um, the other thing I do is voiceovers so I do voiceovers for like I'm the voice of Harry Corey and loads and loads and loads of radio and tv ads and they all pretty much ground to a halt once lockdown happened I think I, I did one for a funeral undertakers and that was like the last one I did and then nothing until recently now that shops have opened up again and they're starting to come through again but usually I would do maybe about 10 a week I did four last week so things are starting to pick up a bit I also have a wedding business I have a company called Quirky Weddings. So we run wedding fairs at the Waterfront Hall and then we print a directory. And obviously we haven't been able to do that because, well, you know, weddings are pretty much not on hold, but they're not what they were. They're much smaller. And I think a lot of people are going to hold off booking a wedding until they know for sure they're going to be able to have it the way they want to have it. Can you talk me through your journey from leaving school to studying in Queen's University? And what was it that led you down the career of voiceovers and radio presenting? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I went to Assumption Grammar in Balmahinch and left after I did my GCSEs because I, when I got to 16, I, I just felt, oh, why are they so focused on what I'm wearing? And, you know, because there, there was a lot of emphasis put on the school uniform and there was a lot of singing and a lot of Latin and a lot of, and I just got to the age where I was like, it just didn't, I just felt trapped in that environment. So I left and went to what was called Downpatrick Tech at the time. It's now called SERC and did A-level there instead of at school. I really thrived in that environment because you only had to be there when you had a class. So if you didn't have a class until lunchtime on Thursday, you didn't have to get the bus down there. You know, you didn't have to go and like hang around or there was, you know, there was much, much more freedom. And you didn't have to wear a uniform and there was boys and, you know, it was just a totally different environment. So I did my levels there and then I went to Queen's and I started studying psychology originally because my levels were chemistry, physics, biology. And I originally thought I wanted to do pharmacy or some something science based. But what I was thinking, I have no idea because I am no more suited to starting around in a lab or doing anything that requires you paying attention than the man on the moon. Like, and I think that was maybe just at the time. I know careers, careers have definitely moved on since then, but at the time it was very much, if you were good at English, 
they told you to go and do law. And if you were good at science, they told you to do medicine, they told you to do you know, something along the lines. Nobody mentioned to me at any stage doing business or anything like that. I started doing psychology, but as part of my course, you had to do three modules in the first term and you could pick them from anywhere in the university. So you had like you had to do a psychology one, but then you could pick anything you wanted, you know, within reason anywhere else. A friend of mine was in the year above and she in her first year had done a course called Introduction to Management. And she says, Kate, it's two hours a week. The test is multiple choice. That's a really good one to do. It's a real easy module. You know, everybody gets a really high mark in it. And I thought, okay, that sounds great. So I did this um, management, which was the first time I'd ever studied a business course and thought, where has this been all my life? I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. And so I just, I hated the psychology and I loved the business. So I decided to leave first year at Christmas and start again uh, in level one in September. So I took the rest of the year out and I started again and I did what was called information management which used to be called library studies believe it or not because this was the late 90s when well yeah the, it was the mid 90s so the internet was only really starting so it was called information management we did some courses in IT and how IT was going to change society and I remember at one stage them teaching us um that one day if you're thinking of going to a restaurant you'd be able to look at the menu on your computer. And we were like, what? This was like really far-fetched. So that, that that's basically, you know, what the course was. It was like right at the start of when the internet was kind of starting to change businesses. It's not, I think that course is now called like business information technology or, you know, something like that. So I did that. Um, I took a year between second and third year and studied in America and then left Queens in 1999. And whenever I was actually planning to go and work in Australia for a year, and I went to a recruitment agency just to get part-time work, you know, as much as I could work before I went, they nabbed me and said, why don't you come and work here as a recruitment consultant? And I thought, yes, okay. So I was all based then because I was getting money and plus I was graduating knowing I had a job. And that was that was important to me because a lot of people in my class had, you know, had been picked up by companies like Deloitte and things like that. And they, they had jobs and we were like, oh, we don't have jobs. And so I took that job and hated it. And after three months, left in tears, but they tempted me out to what was called Belfast Institute, now called Belfast Met. And I worked there as a temp and then I got a full-time job in student finance. So I was the person who was given students the hardship fund, the support fund, it was called. I did that for four years. And then I got a job in the marketing department, which is what I had wanted to really work in marketing. At that time, I was absolutely terrified of public speaking. Really cripplingly bad fear of speaking in public. Even like standing at the front of a room was my worst nightmare. But that job required me to go to schools and give talks to, let's say fifth years, what are they now, year 12 and year 14, about the courses they could do if they came to Belfast Med after they left. And I just had to do it. I just had to learn how to do it. And it was a real baptism of fire because if you go to speak to, you know, you know what it's like if you're at school and somebody comes in to do a talk, everybody's like, oh. Yeah, they don't listen at all. <laughs> they don't listen and they just, and I thought, so I had to kind of find ways to make them listen and to speak to them on a level that, that made them feel that they could approach the college and ask questions. And I was going in doing talks after Queen's and Ulster University and whatever. And I was going in as Belfast met and just sort of like, you know what? I know, you know, probably the majority of you want to go to Queen's or you want to go to, you know, whatever university in England or whatever. You're probably sitting there thinking, we don't need to know about what you offer. And I would say, but look, we're here if you don't get the grade you want or, you know, or if you think you want something a bit different. So that was sort of the, the approach I took. And I ended up getting really good at it and enjoying it and really loving doing it. Then that set me off on another career path. So once I overcame my fear of public speaking, I couldn't shut up. That's now basically here I am in radio. In, let me think, 2007, I started to think about taking a career break because in 2006, a friend of mine um, who worked in a radio station had said to her, I would love to try doing voiceovers for radio ads. 
and she asked the guy in that station to bring me in to try me out and he did and I was good at it he kept bringing me back to do ads and then I just built that up and built it up and I went to London and got a bit more when I say more training I got training in it because I had no experience and no you know I had no acting training or anything so I went to London and I did like a dentist studio and got a, a demo reel made and then I sent that out to people and quite quickly got an agent in Manchester then started doing ads for like Asda and Diet Coke and different places like that that started to build and is that the problem with doing voiceovers is they need you at really short notice so most voice artists have a studio at home Whereas I was at work full time and I couldn't just sort of say to my boss, here, I have to nip up to this radio station and do a voiceover or I'll be back in an hour. So you had to be available. So I, I took the leap in 2009 and took a career break to try and build that up. Um, and there was lots of other things going on at the time. I, I was a volunteer at Northern Visions TV, you know, the community TV channel, and was doing a show with them. And so there was like lots of different things going on. It wasn't just um, the voiceovers. But as soon as I left, lots of things started to happen. I was in the pilot of Game of Thrones um, and had other acting jobs. I was at UTV for a while, um, sort of in the newsroom, and I got out sent, sent out to do sort of reports from different things that were going on. And then I was in RTE for a while. Things just kind of built and built. And then eventually I started to work at QVC, you know, the shopping channel. So I would fly to London every sort of every couple of weeks, and I represented five different brands, like SodaStream and Morphe Richards. It was all kitchen brands. So I would go over there and sell kettles and toasters and then come home again. In 2015, I had been doing, I've been doing voiceovers for all the radio stations, but Q Radio was based in, I think, five or six different parts of Northern Ireland. So they had a station in Oma, Newry, Derry, Ballymena and whatever. So when I was doing voiceovers for them, I'd had meetings with the man who was the MD at the time. And then they bought City Beat and turned it into the Q Radio you know now, which broadcasts all over Northern Ireland. So all the shows come from Belfast and they go all across Northern Ireland. So it's, it's a different setup than it was. At the time, Stephen Clements had been doing breakfast with a girl called Sarah Neal and she was leaving and they needed someone to take her place. And he thought of me, he thought Stephen and I would work well together. He, he just rang me out of the blue one day and said, you know, would you like to demo? Would you like to try this? And that radio hadn't been in my line of vision. It was all TV or acting. It was really weird because usually whatever... Well, up until that point, I had been, hate to use this word, but I had been having to hustle myself. I had to sort of knock on doors and send show reels and send, you know, emails to people and try and make contacts. And you were, you were kind of the one knocking on the door. Yeah, you were just putting yourself out there. You re Oh, you really have to. You really, really have to. But then this came to me and it was, I was like, what? And, th and that's how I ended up at Q. And then I was there until, until last October. For anyone who is interested in a career in radio or TV presenting, what did a day's work look like for you in Q Radio? It's hard to know because there's so many different opportunities. In radio, for me, when I was doing breakfast with Stephen, a day's work looked like my alarm went off at four in the morning. Get up, get dressed. It was easier for men because men just get dressed and, you know, a quick shower out the door. But I had to put makeup on because and people used to say to me, why do you bother doing that? And I'd be like, hang on, nobody sees me on the radio, yes. But when I come out and I'm in the office, there's people there. There's, you know, there's a lot of other people there. There's sometimes celebrities in or sports stars or whatever. And you have to get photos taken or a company will come in with promotional things. So you have to just, you always have to be ready. You always have to be on. So I would meet Stephen in the car park about half five every morning. We would go in, finish off the prep for the show, do the show from six o'clock till 10. And then um, usually we'd take a break from 10 to half 10. And then after that, there would be meetings and preparing for the show the next day. But also there'd be a lot of things that say like companies would come in and want you to kind of take a photo with whatever their product is or they would send in promotional people and you'd have to stand with them and then you would put it on your own social media or we would record videos just to sort of raise the profile of the show so it might have just been a video about what we were going to talk about the next day 
or a video of us talking about a client or visiting a client and doing a video. And then usually I would have been home about lunchtime. And then I had I still had a lot of prep to do for the next day because I had to write all the quiz questions for Instagram and, and then just other just kind of looking up stuff to talk about. And then it all started again. And then, But then sometimes we would host events in the evening, sort of around between sort of October and Christmas would have been the busiest because we would have done fireworks displays or, you know, um, Santa arriving at shopping centres, things like that. And that was always tough because we would generally not be home until really late and then have to be on and alive again at half five the next morning. Uh, but I mean, no complaints, it was great. But every day would kind of be different. There was very few days you would just kind of come home when the show was over. You know, it was, it was always loads of more things to do after the show. But I mean, if you're working in TV or whatever, it's it just depends what you're working on. It depends what the show is or what the demands are for what you do. Because our day would have looked very different from the other shows. There wasn't as much demand on the other shows to do as much social media content. I mean, everybody has to do sort of an amount of it. But breakfast seemed to have the more focus on it. Yeah, everyone is listening to the breakfast radio show when they're doing the school run or when they are driving to work. And there's also a lot of people who the first thing they do in the morning is scroll through their phone. Yeah, well, the breakfast show generally in any radio station is sort of the the show that gets people in and tries to keep them there for the rest of the day. You know, you need to have good breakfast numbers to kind of keep your numbers up throughout the day. It's kind of considered the... Not the hardest show, but it's different. It's just that there's a different sort of requirement and a different sort of personality needed for that show because people need to be lifted up for the rest of the day. Whereas if you're sort of mid-morning, it's a bit more chilled. And then it kind of ramps up again at drive. And then the evening again is different. It's a bit more chilled. Yeah, I would imagine that the two peak times for having the highest listeners would be the breakfast time and also the drive home as well. Yeah, it's your, your commuting shows. And people need to be, you know, in the morning you're kind of saying to people, come on, let's get out the day. And in the evening when they're driving home, it's a bit more like, all right, you've finished your day's work, here's a bit of fun. But it's, it's slightly different. As you said earlier about your fears of public speaking, I am also a really nervous speaker. And during my time at music and university, whenever I had to go up and perform a violin in front of the class, even though I saw them every day, you know, I had really good relationships with them. I was so nervous and see as soon as I stood up there and I was ready to play, my leg shook and for me that was just game over. I used to be exactly the same. Oh my god, I know it's awful. I'm not joking, I used to be absolutely terrified. I remember once doing a talk about student finance when I worked in Belfast Met and halfway through a sentence forgetting what I was talking about and I actually just walked out of the room. I just kind of went, oh, and walked off. But it is, it's just practice. It's like anything. It's, you know, people think you're either good at it or you're not. That is not true. If you practice, you know, practice in the right way and get your head in the right place, anybody can do it. I promise you anybody can do it. Other than practicing maybe like a presentation or a talk, is there anything else that you did to overcome these nerves? I used to do a lot of visualization, more so whenever I was doing sort of auditions for different things, like whenever I auditioned for the shopping channels and stuff, where you just kind of sit through your eyes closed and you imagine yourself in the scenario that you're going to be in when you are speaking in public. You kind of visualize the room and you visualize who's there and you kind of run through it in your head before. And if it is, if you are speaking in public and it's a presentation, what I used to do was I would write out every single word I was going to say. So rather than just go writing bullet points and thinking, I'll talk for about 30 seconds about this and they'll talk for about 30 seconds about that. That doesn't work. Well, not for me. So, but if I would write out every single word, including even the ums and ahs that I knew I was going to be putting in, and then read it and read it and read it and read it out loud again and again and again. Your brain starts to remember it. But you're not memorizing it, but your brain kind of remembers and it knows not to go off track. Because that, that's the big problem, I think, when you're doing a presentation. If you go off on a tangent and then once you realize you've gone off on a tangent, your brain goes, oh, no, how do I get out of this? 
gone too far about this and I'm running out of time. You cannot give your brain anything else to think about except what you're saying. So once the tiny shred of doubt comes in, that's when things start to unravel. And again, this will only be at the start because later on you'll get better at it. You won't need to do this. But if you start out doing it this way, you have everything written out. Say you're going for a job interview and you know you have to do a presentation of 10 minutes. Write one that is 10 minutes. Say it again and again and again. I used to have it pinned up around the house. Um, one time I went for a job interview. I think it was at Queen's or something. I really, really wanted the job. And I had that presentation written out and stuck above my cooker. And it was in my bathroom. And so in the days coming up to it, I was reading it and reading it and reading it. And so my brain knew these are the points that I'm going to make about this topic so that I wasn't kind of having to think what I have to say about this at the same time as, oh my goodness, all these people are looking at me. So you have to kind of remove all the extra thoughts that could come into your head so that you can just focus on delivering it. And one of the other things is if you video yourself saying it, as nervous as you are, do that and watch it back because you'll notice hand movements or sort of your legs going and you'll you'll know what your nervous tell is. And you can stop it. So you have a hand gesture that you do again and again when you're doing presentations. And that's basically you reinforcing to yourself how nervous you are. So if you're able to stop that, if you're able to anchor all those things, especially if you're doing a presentation, you, you have it written out in front of you, but you want to sit while looking at the people. But your backup is, I have this written down here. Worst case scenario, I can read this out. It means, again, you're not nervous, but you're, that takes away that nerve because you know it's written down that's there. You don't have any negative self-chatter where you kind of are going, oh no, what if, what if I forget what I'm going to say? Or what if I, you know, any, anything, or what if, what if people can tell I'm nervous because I'm waving my hands around? What I did was I would have it typed out and I had like a leather folder, like a, like sort of a, like an A4 leather folder. And I would put the presentation on that and hold it in my arm so that my, well, I wasn't waving my arm around. So, so I'd hold that in my left hand and my right hand would, would sort of gesticulate. Then if, if I felt myself doing that, I could just kind of anchor myself by, by putting it like crossing my hands. Yeah, just to stop yourself from moving. Stop yourself from moving. It helped other people who, who were like sort of practicing for presentations and by videoing them and making them watch that their legs were going so they were kind of dancing a wee bit. You know, so if you're able to kind of just, if you just kind of are able to center yourself completely, so you're like, I have a really strong body language, I'm not moving around, I'm delivering this, I'm confident, it really helps. There's a lot of really tiny things you can do that, that help you. It's really about preparation. It's about preparation and kind of thinking yourself through what are the things that could be pitfalls here and, and just remove as many sort of extra nerves as you can. So sit down and close your eyes and think, right, okay, what am I nervous about? And then what can I do about that? So if it is I'm nervous that I'm going to forget what I'm going to say, okay, I have it written down, that's gone. I'm nervous I'm going to wave my hands around, okay, well, if I stand like this, or I'm nervous that I'm not going to look well enough, get groomed, get ready. Do you know what I mean? So just kind of go in with your armor on. This sounds ridiculous and really set in the 90s, but I used to imagine the most confident person I could think of at the time it was Cindy Crawford. So I'm really showing my age here, age 44. I mean, now you might sort of be thinking Beyonce or, you know. So I used to try and imagine I had Cindy Crawford's head on and I would be like, stop, they're smiling, like beaming out and just trying to beam out positivity. And for me, that just worked. And it sounds crazy, but it just works. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it's really important to find these things, just like the way that you held the folder in your hand, you know, as you knew that would stop your hand from moving. I think it's really important to find these, you know, like wee tricks or tips that will help you overcome your nerves because the first ever interview that I ever had in a marketing career I was so nervous because this was such a new venture for me and I never experienced it before and I remember I was in the car and I felt like I was going to be sick. I was so nervous but the eye of the tiger came on the radio. See sitting in that car and listening to that song it got me pumped up and I went in and my nerves were just completely gone. 
every time I'm on my way to an interview now, I listen to Eye of the Tiger because it seems to be something that helps to calm me down and helps to pump me up before I go to an interview. For me, one of the ones I used to have was Lady Gaga, Edge of Glory. That's a really good one. My most recent one is, um, it's Lizzo. What do you call it? My hair done. Check. Uh, I think that one's called Good as Hell. Good as Hell, that one. Yep. Yeah, so those things, you know, there's lots of just different things you can do. But as I say, it feels like an awful lot of work at the start because you're thinking, right, I've got my playlist and I'm imagining this and I'm doing that and whatever. But then you get you get used to it. It's like anything, it's like any skill you have to learn. You know, if you were learning to play an instrument or whatever, you have to practice and you have to put the work in, but then it just clicks and it's okay. You know, so I went from absolutely being, one of the things that tipped me over the edge when I left my course at Queen's in first year I had to do a presentation in front of six people, six people in my class, in my tutor group. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And that was partly what tipped me over. And so, so I went from that to Mixie and I did the, the Christmas lights in Belfast one year. And we, we used to do the fireworks with 30,000 people. And it didn't fizzle me. I wouldn't even have thought about it. I'd just walk out there and talk. Honestly, it didn't fizzle me at all. Even if you aren't considering a career in TV or radio presenting, I think that's really great advice because no matter what career you're going into or no matter what you're doing, that is a skill that you can take forward that'll help you with your nerves. Well, it's good because even, you know, no matter what job you're in, you know, you generally you have to go to meetings and you have to go, you know, and speak in, in your office or whatever. And all of those things are really intimidating. Life is intimidating at times, but this just kind of helps you get... You can kind of sort of center yourself on what you're doing and if you know what you're talking about. and But you just have to put yourself out there and you have to go and make an agent of yourself sometimes. You have to fail a few times and then realize, actually, well, that's okay. Nobody cares. Nobody notices when you do. Do you know what I mean? You just you just go and do it and then just just keep putting yourself into situations. If you really want to master and do public speaking really well, you have to put yourself into situations that are unnatural and force yourself to do those things. Find opportunities for yourself to do it, whether it's, and this is maybe far-fetched, but I went on five game shows because I wanted to be on TV. And I thought, well, if I want to be on TV, I need to be on TV. And that was one of the ways to do it. So I was on, I was on like Weakest Link and Millionaire and stuff, just so I would be in that situation. I have to put myself through it and force myself to do stuff like that. But I mean, if you're somebody who's able to get involved in a drama group or, you know, and there's so many opportunities now that weren't there whenever I was doing this between like TikTok and you know your insta feed stories and things like that i mean it's there's so many more ways to do it now and even with what you're doing with the podcasts you know you 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 have to put yourself out there and be able to have an interview and then you share it with people and get feedback and that's that's really the only way to do it i'm definitely going to be taking some of those tips forward for the next time i have to do a presentation or next time i have an interview coming up and i think that you also gave me a really good insight into what life looks like in radio and tv and also what it's like to do voiceovers good i hope so it's just say just practice and just sort of partly don't take yourself so seriously and just kind of like oh, okay this is this is okay it doesn't really matter but then again i'm saying that age 44 i didn't feel that way when i was younger but you do as you get older Getting older is also part of it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kate. Chat later. Bye. No worries. Thank you for having me. All the best.